great thing about oil and gas is, you know, it is kind of fun. It's very challenging. And, you know, in some ways, in a lot of ways, it's controversial. So you have to be ready to, to talk about it. <laughs> but with tech sales, it really doesn't matter what field you're going into. It's such a dynamic industry. Something's always changing. Something's always new. So you have to keep that knowledge baseline up. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Shay Gordon, how the heck are you? I'm doing good. How are y'all? I'm great. It's great seeing you again. It's good to see you guys. It's been, you just said, six years? Yeah. It's crazy. It's wild. <laughs> Looking forward to catching up with you and kind of reliving some of the old days and yeah. get caught up to what you've done since and what you see for the future. All right. Before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about you. Talk to us about your unicorn status. <laughs> yeah, the good old mythical Austin unicorn. You know, it's Austin's really become such a transplant city, whether, you know, you're from New York, California, mm-hmm. Dallas, Houston. That's not a lot of originals mm-hmm. left. And it's very rare that... Uh, Austinite leaves Austin and then comes back to it. But maybe that's more prominent because people realize Austin's awesome. So. <laughs> <laughs> it is awesome. So were you born and raised here? I was. Yeah, born and raised. There, there's really nothing fascinating. That's, that's, that's right. It'll be, it'll be quick. It'll be quick then. <laughs> yeah, no, just a little bit. I just grew up in North Austin. Kind of fun fact, South Boston was the Joey's, North Boston it was the Bubba's. Yeah. Uh, and so we were definitely in the Bubba territory. It was basically with Cedar Park. And, you know, it was great area to to grow up in you know good old suburbia but got a good education out in the suburbs and that led me to you know i don't know if you guys are familiar with how texas high schools work when i was in high school it was 10 percent. if you're in the top 10 percent got automatic acceptance to any public university in texas interesting so you, like that now or no now it's i think it's the other five or six percent okay so top, because what happened is the universities got overwhelmed yeah. So everyone tries to get to UT. Everyone tries to get to A&M. Mm-hmm. And so like when you're, you know, have a good GPA, but not like the best in the yeah. class, you can scratch out the best universities. It's like Red Raider. Yeah. So that's how I ended up at Tech. Wreck and Tech. Yeah. There you and go. Very glad I went there. Well, I'm well, not afraid Before we get there real quick. Love it. What were you like as a kid then? The sales? Because you're in sales now. Like it's sales. What did you think you wanted to be when you were in high school? Oh, God. That's a great question. I... Did not have the planning fortitude to really make a career decision mm-hmm. and not young. Which is okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is most nearly everyone. Yeah, but no, I uh, I was a big theater nerd. I knew I didn't want to be an actor, but I enjoyed doing it. And I think obviously that experience, it definitely lent a lot of ability to sales because you have to learn how to think on your feet. Obviously, you have to learn how to present in public and be confident in that presentation. Also enunciation, when you're on the phone all day, making sure, especially in Texas, with our good old accent, we're very bad about dropping the T's and the D's at the end. So making sure you're getting every letter in there, it was really beneficial. So I think that started me on my path to sales, but did not think that this was going to be my career. I'll be honest. <laughs> Give me an example of where you drop the T or the D. I mean, it's just like, oh, I can't do it. You can't do it. Oh, you just- oh yeah. So yeah, so you didn't hear the T right there. I can't do it. <laughs> okay. Right. Or uh, I'm going town. So you, I drop the G. Oh, wow. So we drop all the hard consonants at the end. So if I'm not thinking about it, I'll okay. drop a G or a T or a D. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so you, you're coming out of high school. 
what do you think you wanted to major in? So I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life still because, you know, I was 18 years old and I don't mm-hmm. think any 18 year old should know what they want to do with their life. So I did what any hopeless case would do. Well, let's get a major in something that's going to be useful. So I went into business school. There you go. <laughs> I was like, I'll do your business school, see if I like it, see if something else strikes my fancy. And then I really fell in love with it. I loved all my classes. Uh, and it saw, it gave me what I saw was a path to kind of more international business, which is originally what I was majoring in. Mm-hmm. And tech gave me the fantastic opportunity <laughs> to go study abroad for a pretty long time. Uh, Where did you go? This goes back to your linguistic thing. You yeah. Yet with earlier. <laughs> Where did you study abroad? Uh, I studied in South Korea at a, a university called Korea University or Koryo de Hakkyo. If you say Korea University, most people don't know what you're saying. So if you say Koryo de, they're like, oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I went and I studied there. I studied um, international business and marketing at a Korea University. And it was really cool. It's a fantastic school. It's one of the top three. In uh, South Korea, they call it Sky. You have Seoul National, Yonsei, and then Korea University. So they're kind of like, think of it like the Stanford, Harvard, Yale mm-hmm. of uh, South Korea. So it, it was really cool to just have been able to to go and do that and would not have been able to do that if I hadn't gone to that. Are you fluent in Korean? You know, it, it's, uh, it depends on my sobriety level, but okay. yeah. <laughs> nice. We flew before you went. No, I did not speak a single word. By the time I left, I was fluent, but kind of, I don't really, um, there's not a lot of Koreans that live close to me. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't really gotten to practice it as much as I would like, but it, uh, it is always fine to to turn on a Korean movie and my husband hates it because he has to read subtitles. I'm like, why do you got to read subtitles? Yeah. <laughs> So, and so how, how did how, how long did it take you to become fluent? How long were you over there? It so it was there for about two and a half years. Oh, it, wow. It, yeah. And it's a I would probably say the last starting after the last year and a half really started to to click. Okay. And I, I started to like understand and, and think in Korean and could actually like hold a conversation, you know, wow. uh versus kind of like the cute I'm speaking like a five year old yeah. kind of Korean. So you, you were at Texas Tech for how long before you went to Korea? I was there for a year. A year? And, and then and, and two and a half years there? Mm-hmm. And then you, you come back to... I did. I came back to Tech to actually graduate. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I mean, I would think, were you in Seoul? Yeah, I was in Seoul. I, yeah. Could there be a bigger difference between Lubbock and Seoul? Yeah, Lubbock or leave it. So, yeah, no, it's it definitely was a massive culture shock coming back from Seoul, which is, you know, massive international city. Mm-hmm. Kind of boring in architecture, same kind of architecture as Lubbock, you know, just straight flat buildings, but it's so international. You've got everyone from everywhere. You can find anything in Seoul. It is really just an amazing city and, and I love it. But I tell, I tell people, if you're going to Korea, spend two days in Seoul tops, go to the rest of Korea because it's just a city. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Fascinating. So you came back. What do you think you're going to do when you graduated? Well, at that point... I was still trying to figure out like what I could do with my degree. Here I am, this girl, I speak Korean, I'm getting my degree in marketing, trying to find opportunities. And during this whole time, I had been working part-time for a bunch of different companies and either doing soft sales for them or just kind of working with them, either on accounting or secretary work. And my bright mind was thinking, oh, I don't need an internship. Because I'm doing, you know, 
real work. And then I found out when I started going to job fairs, trying to find an actual job, they're like, where'd you intern? Well, here's, here's my resume. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't just a waitress. And so kind of a lot of the opportunities I thought would be available to me being fluent in Korean, having studied there really just weren't afforded to me because I, I made the mistake of not thinking an internship was important. Did you want to move back to Korea? For a period of time I did. Yeah. I was briefly flirting with the idea of doing my master's there, but that's kind of where about that was about that stage was where I realized a lot of foreigners get there. When you live in Korea for a long time and you finally start speaking a language, it kind of hits you that you will always be a foreigner and you will not, not be nothing ever more than a way good. And you, know, you can be as fluent as you want, but you're always going to be that. You'll be the last in line for everything. You'll be kicked out of a bunch of places or you just won't be allowed in. Really? Oh, yeah. It's kind of one of the darker sides of South Korea. It's a mm -hmm. wonderful country. Like I have nothing but like really wonderful things about to say about the people. But yeah. There is extreme racism that is there as well. Like I remember I was in this small town called Ulsan and I was ordering uh, kind of like Korean sushi rolls uh, called kimbap. And it was a big group of us. So I, it was a relatively large order, but they were processing a lot. And they kept putting my ticket to the back. I was going, well, why does she keep moving my ticket? And I see she wrote on the top in big letters, Wayguk. And I was like, oh my God, she's like pushing me back and putting all the Koreans in front of me. So I went and I started yelling at her. I was like, you know, you need to make a gimbap. I've been here for like, you know, 45 minutes pushing it and like came this whole thing. Yeah. And she didn't like expect me to come at her with the in Korean, but that stuff, once you kind of reach that fluency level, mm -hmm. the rose colored glasses come off <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and you, you kind of see a little bit of the darker sides that I thought of doing it and then i realized you know even though i'm with this great guy who was dating i just can't can't stay here i can't live here can't make my life here i so i decided no it's come back stateside hopefully it worked for a green company or an asian company that wants me to come visit right <laughs> but yeah. not actually live there yeah so. and that was tough to lasso right I'm sorry. That's a tough, that's a tough job to land. Yeah, it is. And I thought I would have the ability to go do that. And, you know, being the great optimistic young 20 somethings we are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think anything is possible. Yeah. Yeah. So just that's, that path wasn't available to me when I left school, but it was kind of just something that was always in the back of my mind of, of how can I get back there? I do have this experience. So I feel like it's just kind of been a slow build up to finally getting to the national level where I'm at now. <laughs> uh, we're going to get to yeah. I, want to hear, I want to hear about that. So, but what was your first gig out of school? Was it Warren Cat? Yeah. So I did not start in tech sales. I started in oil and gas. And Warren Cat is a franchise at Caterpillar. And I wanted to get a job at a college. So how'd you end up in sales? Yeah. So uh, that uh, was, that. that's how I ended up in sales. I was like, I have a degree in marketing. What the frick do I do with that? Right. <laughs> And so I was just like, well, you know, I've, I've always been told I'm good, you know, talking to people and like listening to them mm -hmm. and getting them to buy things. I guess I'll just go into sales. Mm -hmm. And so I got really lucky. I graduated college, didn't have a job, moved back in with my mom. And just like every single day, like we were sending out 20 plus applications, couldn't get anything here in Austin. So I wanted to get into tech and they just weren't having it. So that's how I ended up at Warren Cat. 
way out in Midland, Texas. That's why I thought you were the most Texas. Yeah. The job. Yeah, because I worked in Midland, which is literally the armpit of Texas mm-hmm. and it smells like it too. Yeah, I, I, I got a really great break. My boss, Zach Adamson, he really took a chance on me, fresh out of college, very limited, basically no te- official sales experience. Put me in the inside sales role for engines and generator sales and repairs and parts and all that fun One stuff. Cat in authorized Caterpillar dealership. Yeah. So reselling or selling. Selling, yeah. So in the oils, in oil fields. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Caterpillar, the only way you can buy cat equipment is through a franchiser. That's just how their business mm-hmm. model works. Mm-hmm. So Caterpillar manufactures everything. I think they have their Iowa plants, and they just moved out of Peoria. So I'm not sure where they manufacture right now. Mm-hmm. But everything is sold through a franchise. And there's three franchises here in Texas. I was at the West Texas one. Okay. What was that like? I lived in Lubbock. So... There wasn't, I wouldn't say like a culture shock of moving from Lubbock to Midlands. It's all very flat. There's nothing to do. How far are those two towns apart? About two, two and a half hours. But you lived in Lubbock. So I moved back to Austin because I had graduated. Yeah. But it's, I mean, when I was working at CAT, I would go up to Lubbock for games and stuff. So uh-huh. it's not a bad drive. It's like two, two and a half hours. And you just take a little um, oil road okay. up there, fly like 85 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. Great. So you lived in Midland. Technically, was living in Odessa. Okay. So Midland, Odessa, and, and man, don't say you uh, lived in Odessa. If you're living in Odessa, don't say you lived in Midland. Midland people get very mad. Okay. <laughs> there is very much a disdain. Okay. Between the two towns, but I was I was living in the Midland, Odessa region, uh, working in oil and gas, and it was great. It was really challenging because kind of like what I do now. I'm in cyber. It's very misproportioned in terms of women in oil and gas. And in oil and gas, women really are treated like crap. Pretty much like they're seen as, for lack of a better word, floozies. So they're really, you were just there to either be an ornament on the wall or you were there for extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. And so it definitely, and then, as a woman in sales, like there was a gas delivery company and they, they had female reps, quote unquote, selling the gasoline. And all their job was to, was to wear high heels, little hot skirts and a tank top. And they put on a hard hat and they'd come out and they'd have the site form and go and sign the slip. Like that was, they were in sales. And they were very proud of it. And so it was really difficult kind of coming into that role, being a woman and kind of there was this expectation since I was a woman that first of all, I didn't know what the heck I was talking about and that I would either be this wall piece for them. And it kind of shocked a lot of people because my family, I am the only person in my family that doesn't work in oil and gas. From my mom, my sister, to all of my dad's family, everyone works in oil and gas. So bleed black is kind of like what we like to say. Yeah. So I came in actually really knowing the industry, mm-hmm. really understanding what it was and, you know, short learning curve, learning how an engine works, you know, it's pretty basic. Kind of went in there and pretty put, basic. Yeah. You got your gaskets and your yeah. pistons and, and then it's just a bulb of extra stuff. There's really nothing complicated about it. But, uh, from, I came in and everyone's thinking I was going to be just this person to kind of be this, your next floozy. And then I came in and just instantly started crushing it because for me, and it's kind of carried on my whole career is sales doesn't, it's not, it's never nine to five, never. And so as soon as clock would end at work at five, I would go to Midland and go to the bar 
literally called the bar. <laughs> and I would have little packets, like, you know, either attached to a keychain or I'd have like a little notebook, have my business card on it. And I'd hand it to every single person that worked at, oh, that was uh, sitting at the bar because that's where all the decision makers and the site foreman and the VPs and the directors and managers. So that's where they all went. And then bam, here's my card. Here's my name. I do engines and generator sales. Let's talk. Let's buy a drink. And it just literally from that moment, kind of my whole office was kind of taken aback. They expected me to falter. Yeah. <laughs> they really criticized my boss for taking a risk. I'm hiring female. Yeah. And no, it kind of just for me was, I'm going to show you guys that as a woman, I, I'm not just good at this job. I'm better than you at it. So. Yeah. I mean, your boss probably realized at the time too, you probably saw, you know, you got this sense of adventure about you going up in Korea for two years. Yeah. Not just like a semester. Yeah. Or the summer. Yeah. Right. And then he probably saw some, something in you, which we see, which we saw, but also then you grew up in that business. Your family is growing up in that yeah. type of economy, that type of business, the ups and downs of it all. You probably talk about it a lot growing up. In today's hyper-competitive talent market, it's tougher than ever to fill open sales roles. Each day those revenue-generating positions remain unfilled is a day that costs your company money. Whether you need to build an SDR team from scratch or find a world-class director of sales, Memory Blue's direct hire service bridges the gap you're struggling to close. Our team locates the high-performing candidates you've been dreaming of and brings them to your doorstep. Last year, Memory Blue Direct Hire placed more than 400 high-performing sales professionals into a wide array of key positions across the high-tech industry. Don't waste any more time searching for your next top performer. Get access to massive pools of top talent using recruiters trained to source the best in the industry. Learn more about Direct Hire at memoryblue.com slash direct. Yeah, no. ebbs, yeah, yeah. The ebbs and the flows, as oil and gas is very cyclical. Okay. You know, the whole reason I left Warren Trap was the cycle. Okay. So, you know, you'll have, you know, five, six years where oil is really high. Right now, it's close to $100 a barrel, if not more. But when I, that was where it was out when I started at CAT. And so money was great. And people spent money like water. But the smart companies, they courted that money because the crash always comes in oil and gas. And so when I left, it was 32 a barrel. Wow. And for fracking wow. to be profitable, you have to, oil has to be selling at 60 a barrel. So nobody was drilling. Yeah. There was a company out there, I can't remember when they was, started with an N, and they had 80 fracking rigs that were on their site. And you would see that, that lot, it was empty all the time. One rig might come in for repairs, and it was immediately back out in the field. By the time I left Midland, all 80 rigs were back on site. And it was terrifying. I remember driving around there with my uncle who worked in oil and gas. And he was just like, this is the scariest thing I think I've ever seen. And, my, and he worked oil and gas his whole life. And it was... Because it was like a ghost town. Yeah. Like a little ghost. Ghost town, yeah. It was crazy. It was really crazy. But it's bounced back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to get my arms around exactly what you were selling. So you were selling equipment and motors to who? So when... Basically, everyone that worked in oil and gas. So it worked in so many different ways. So what I was doing was it was engines and generators for, you know, frack sites, for wastewater pit management, what anything that needed heavy equipment to run, it was run on a jet set. 
yeah. because you don't really have huge electricity poles going or running out there. So you need to have a gym set to go and get it done. And then because that gym set's constantly running, it's running that heavy machinery, it needs repair and maintenance quite frequently. So you get the generator, you get them, and then you get them into the repair plans to go and sell them on it. And you've had, of course, a bunch of different people out there say, hey, I have the same service and I can do it $700 cheaper than Warren Cat can. And then it was kind of trying to go and explain the value. It's very different kind of in, in industrial sales. It gets to the nitty gritty. Whereas when you're selling SaaS, you can kind of sell the idea mm-hmm. and you sell the value of the solution. There, this is a bottle of water. Right. <laughs> Why should I buy this bottle of water over that bottle of water? It's the same thing. Commodity. Yeah. And so I was kind of having to talk down to customers, not talk down, talk to customers of, you know, well, it's $700 because, you know, your O-ring, that's what blew. And the reason why it blew is nobody lubricated it. And so what we do is we stick petroleum jelly in every single O-ring and that keeps it stuck in place and then make sure your O-ring's less likely to go and blow and make sure your gaskets don't blow as frequently. So it's little tiny little things like that. You go pepper into the conversation and remove from it that they're like, okay, you really don't need these parts. And this piece doesn't need to be repaired that frequently. So we're going to put you in this different pricing plan. So it's really very different from what what I was doing. Right. Very, very different from what I do now. But it was a lot more, I think, cutthroat because there was more competition. But what I've always uh, sought after in sales is what's the best product. Mm-hmm. And so I knew working at Caterpillar, of course I have the best product. Mm-hmm. It's Caterpillar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you decided to leave. I uh, did. Obviously you learned quite a bit and you were successful. Yeah. So I left because oil crashed mm-hmm. and, you know, seeing those 80 rigs in the lot. No. Yeah. <laughs> Get me out. Yeah. Well, I knew there was going to be layoffs, even though Warren Cap was saying, oh no, we're not going to lay off anyone. We're a family run business. We're not doing this to our family. I think three months after I started with y'all, at, um, they did a massive layoff. Oh, yeah. I had to. Yeah, they, they did. And it's, it was an unfortunate necessity. And they did, to their credit, try to hire as many people back once yeah. uh, oil came back up. So to their credit, they tried to avoid it as long as they could and then try mm-hmm. to make right after. But yeah, I, I realized I need to be in a job that's not five years cyclical <laughs> nature. And so I started to start looking back at tech jobs back in Austin because I also realized Midland sucks. They don't want to live in West Texas anymore. So I looked in Dallas. I looked in Austin. I looked in San Antonio. And then one of y'all's recruiters reached out to me. And I was like, I really want to make my break into tech sales. And she's like, I've got the job for you. (laughs) (laughs) How long were you doing oil and gas? I was doing it for a year. A year, okay. Yeah. So. You remember who, well, I don't know who the recruiter was. It was Tiffany. 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 Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. She's with us, which is a boomerang. She's back at the company. Yeah, I know, her yeah. little thing. But yeah, she was my recruiter. She was. And yeah. she really sold it to me of coming here and being like, look, nobody's going to give you this break into tech sales. It's really hard to get in there. And like your, your experience, you clearly have a sales background but you don't have the SDR experience. And one thing that's become super, super clear to me my whole career is that in tech, you have to have that SDR position. It, it's so ne- necessary kind of just for how we run our wholesale cycle. And she's like, this is how we do it. This is the memory blue model. You're going to have some clients and you're going to have the option of, you know, if they want to hire you out, you can go with them or you can stay. 
And, you know, average tenureship here at the time, I think was like six months. Mm-hmm. And they were saying early now, it's like 12, 15. But I was like, all right, let's go. Let's do it. I'm going to make my break. <laughs> yeah. You ready to go? Yeah. Go back. You said why? Why is the So it's learning the hustle. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think, I don't know if you guys still have the shirt, but I, I still have it. It's my night shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Tech sales for hustlers. And, it, it. and it's really very true. And learning how to be an FDR, learning to go through the grind and just getting people on the phone, talking to them, learning how to be comfortable in a conversation with somebody you've never met before. Mm -hmm. You cold call them out of the blue. Why the heck do they even want to talk to you? It teaches you the immediate foundation of objection handling. And once you get that, then you get past it and really get deeper into that sales cycle. And it's learning how to make those hundred plus dials every single day. I barely cold call anymore. I still do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are still days like, you know, like, okay, here's a list. I got 30 numbers I'm going to call. Let's go, you know, <laughs> hand jam it out. <laughs> and if you don't have an SCR foundation, kind of getting yourself into the good habits of these are the amount of emails that I need to send today. These are the number of calls I need to make. These are the number of meetings I need to have. You're going to get completely lost mm-hmm. um, yep. in your whole sales process. Yep. So it's the foundation. <laughs> it is. It is. So you came into the role. You, who did you interview with? Nimit Bot. Mr. Bot. Yeah, Mr. Bot. He had just been promoted into that position. Uh-huh. It was the not this new big shiny office. I think. Uh, Actually, the whole sales floor is about the size of this conference room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really small. But it was really fun. He, uh, I remember the interview actually pretty well with Nimitz. I, he was going like, you know, what's what's the biggest failure you've had? And I had just lost like a hundred grand sale at Caterpillar, and I was still really devastated about it. Obviously, it's hundred grand. Of course. Even now, hundred grand's a big ticket item. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I, I had it. Everything was done. You know, the I's were crossed. I mean, the C's were crossed, the I's were dotted, and it, it was going to come in and they were going to put the engine in the bay. And I was done. And then, literally, like the day that they were supposed to drop it, they said, you know, no, we're going to go back on the contract. <laughs> and that was really my first huge loss in my sales career. And it kind of, even today, I'll, I'll still look at it as what went wrong there that i could have done differently to have made sure that engine you know got into the bay and like you know they went and actually did the work on it you know did I? yeah uh, so it's, it was i remember him asking that question i went through it with him and he was just like oh people just talk to me about failing their tests <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that uh worked well in my favor getting a job here at memory blue absolutely it did and then what was it like when we started it was a grind. Yeah. And like I knew that coming in, like I was, you know, it was very clear. They were so proud, like these are your expectations for the role. And you're going to be calling all day and here's your call blocks. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do that. And then when you're not doing that, you're going to meet emailing. Mm-hmm. And we need to get this many leads a day and you're going to have to grind. And if you grind and you hustle, you're going to do great. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was. It was, I think when I started like the first two weeks, you guys were having us just like listen to sales tapes mm-hmm. and it was like John Costigan and this guru guy. Ganesh. 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 Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just listened to them for a couple of weeks and then they just threw me on the phone. And because I had the sales experience, I was given. You probably the, had a leg up. Yeah, I did. I had more confidence and so Nimic kind of 
IBM came in and he's like, all right, I'm going to put my more tenured SDR and I'm going to put someone who has the actual sales experience onto this account. Was it IBM? Was it the company Dr. Was it Dr. Post? It was Fitel and Explorers. Fitel, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Fitel okay, and Explorers. Right. Yeah. That's right. So they had been acquired by IBM, but hadn't been merged. Okay. So they still were operating kind of like outside of the uh, IBM scope. Okay. And so that was crazy. <laughs> so when they were my main client the whole time I was there, I worked with, this actually got me my first taste into cybersecurity because outside of IBM, I had two cybersecurity accounts. So I started actually kind of learning the basics of cybersecurity and kind of got a background in it. And for the reason why I was able to actually break into cybersecurity, which is pretty hard, was because I worked with two cybersecurity clients here. Yeah. So I already kind of knew the lingo. I knew kind of already how it's talking, who are going to be the decision makers based on the type of product. So it was really cool, especially kind of getting to work with, you know, IBM huge yeah. and then getting to work with these two very different companies as you know i was yes i had no idea what yeah. that, this was what, what is it it's a pin test yeah. <laughs> yeah it's very very interesting how did you learn it so you said it was a grind yeah but so you know because you're coming from marketing nature all this great experience families and all gas you kind of knew what you're you know mm-hmm. you know what you're doing sort of i'm sure you love quote unquote <laughs> There was no leg up, but you had sales experience. But how did you learn calling for IBM and calling for these cyber firms? Um, so I, I think it was just really kind of a team collaborative effort. One, it's your own trial and error. Uh, you have to self-reflect on yourself. Why did I do poorly on this call? Why didn't I book the lead when I made this call? Was is the script not working? Mm-hmm. Is my tone not working? Am I not asking the right questions? And then having your colleagues go and listen to your calls and then providing their direct feedback on it kind of gives, gave me that outside view that I always, and to this day, appreciate. Like, I love when people are on my calls and they give me feedback. They're like, hey, this is great, but you missed this. Like, and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even see that I missed that. Now I got to follow up with that. So it's that feedback is really kind of what helps you improve. You have to, one, be open to that feedback if you're not willing to accept it. You're not going to get better, but then you also have to kind of be, you do have to be tough on yourself. Uh, how can I make myself better? If I see something that's not going right in my career and I'm not kind of getting that outside feedback, I really go through, I'll look through every single email since, and I'll look through all my opportunities. I'm like, what's working? What's not? What do I think needs to change? And I'll do a course correction to try to change it. And so that's kind of how I improved on top of that. It's reading articles, Google alerts. If you don't have 20,000 cool alerts coming to your inbox. Oh, no, you were big on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I still yeah, am. <laughs> I know that. I know Just to that. talk a little bit about your strategy for Google alerts, because a lot of SDRs don't do that, and we have a lot of SDRs listening. So yeah, talk a little bit about that. You need to have Google alerts. I, I'm big on education, and I like to speak knowledgeably to all of my clients. So it can be something as, comp- as simple as, like, you know, for me right now, well, we'll say when I worked at CrowdStrike, the Google Alerts I have when I worked at CrowdStrike. So obviously, big data breach, endpoint detection, um, a small thing, antivirus, NGAV, all those small things. I would set up a Google Alert just for that to get basically the news of the day. Yeah. And then I would set aside, you know, anywhere 15 to 30 minutes of just studying either the base product of my company or just the industry as a whole, specifically related to, you know, where CrowdStrike was in the space. 
you know, what is in GAV? What are all these cool titles? And then when you got those Google alerts, you get that instant news of the day. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden you seem so much smarter than you actually are to your clients. Oh no, I did you hear about, you know, like so-and-so got breached? What? When did that happen? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, they got breached. It was this time, this many people. This is how they got in. And like everyone thinks you're a genius. No, I'm so we read that right Google this morning. Right. <laughs> Better organized. Yeah. And it it just it keeps you on top of what you need to be learning, what you need to be focusing on. So, you know, if your clients, you know, if your clients marketing and they're doing, you know, data aggregation, make sure you have Google Alerts set up around that. How does the same aggregation happen? What's the name of your company that you're, that's your client? Make sure you're following them. Make, make sure you're one, at least following them on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you have that Google alert tuned in so you can go and see, and you can even impress your client. You're like, oh, hey, like I saw this happen. Companies, maybe you're trying to really break into one account. So you set a Google alerts on that particular account. So then you go and you give them a personalized email and be like, oh, hey, I saw, you know, you guys just released a business wire on this, congrats, or, oh, hey, Jim, I saw, you know, you worked at this place before you came here, uh, and it's because you saw it in your Google Alert because you just got hired. You need to have Google Alerts. I live and die by them. <laughs> Who else, when you were working at Memory Blue, and you're learning these things, or doing some black on your own, who were you doing this with? Your colleagues. Who else was good in the office when you were here? Gosh, we had such a strong team. Some of them still work here. It's yep. crazy, but... I mostly worked with the Matthew Thomas was okay. a big, uh, yep. big one that I worked with. Katie, I can't remember what her last name was. Yep. She sat next to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then uh, Andrew Sturkey. Okay. And, and then yeah. Noel Ryan. Good old Noel. Okay. <laughs> um, you got Joey Sorensen. You got Dobson. Gosh, Noel really was pulling Polish. Oh, got Luke. You had Will Viney. Yeah, Mr. Viney. Uh huh. And I, oh, Nick, Nick, what was his last name? Zick Zop, start with a Z. I don't know. Nick Zelfine. Oh, Zelfine. Yeah. yeah. I know I'm missing. Oh, and Devin Cushing. Yeah, Devin. I'm missing two, but I, cause there's another girl, there's two other girls that also don't remember. You have a good memory. Yeah. Yeah. That was a while ago. And then what was it like working with those folks in the office? You learned from one another. Oh, it was crazy. Like, yeah. That, that office was awesome. <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, it was very small. Like, you know, when I started, there was like, I think it was six or seven of us in the office. So we just instantly bonded and we're like, we are here to kickstart our career. Mm -hmm. And all of us are extremely dedicated and motivated of how can, this is where we want to be in five years. What does it take to get there? Yeah. And I mean, the reason I remember all these names is because we're still all in contact with each other. Yeah. And we still try to prop each other up. And Andrew, he transferred over into cybersecurity. And so we still have conversations about that from time. Yeah. Uh, he's over at uh, Red Canary now. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's really crazy just how we all meshed mm-hmm. and having that, everyone having that idea of, I want to get to the outside. Mm-hmm. I want to be like the best in sales. How can I work and get there? And so we all, try to our best work together and help each other really improve yep and uh you know try to reference each other try to build up our skills and i think that really even carries on to today because like i said we still listen to each other on linkedin quite frequently like oh hey thinking of this role or do you know anything about this job and like do you know anybody who works here 
we still all kind of know yeah. together. So that bond was very much formed and very lucky. You it's know, a small office. we swim uphill or against the tide a little bit. With uh, the movement to work from the house, which we believe mm. this for people, they get to your level of experience. Yeah. But we think when you learn that, learn the grind, learn these things is invaluable to your career development to be in the same yeah. room. Yeah, I think it is. People. It's definitely a maturity level of your career where you need to be like, if you could be 100% remote, if you can be hybrid, or if you really do need to be in there every day. SDR work, just the nature of the work and kind of how you kind of help grow and build off of the success of others around you. You got to be at the desk every day. Like <laughs> yeah, desk. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking her to say that before the podcast starts. <laughs> you know, because I want this series to listen because a lot of the SDRs have friends who work at a whole hundred percent entry level SDR roles. Mm, I don't well, think we're, they're going to be very successful. Hybrid, yeah, well, not in the long term because you talked about it earlier. You got to learn that part of mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah, no, it's it's a huge part, and like it's kind of one of those things. It's like the benefit of being a sales is like the first part's really hard, but once you get past that SDR work, once you get past that first S and B role, it gets so much easier and so much better and you're so much more in control of your calendar of your time and then you do have a little bit more flexibility to you know work remote a few days i still think even yes you should yeah and like i still go into the office two days a week because i enjoy coming to the office i enjoy the networking meeting with all my coworkers and being there for them and with them there is something very unique about being in the office and there are sometimes though where certain jobs you got to be there every day whether you like it or not mm-hmm. but it's kind of it's just that learning experience you just have to learn and then it's there yeah so the smb role is that what is that oh a small business so okay. you know a lot Next of times job after me yeah a lot of times like i didn't thankfully i missed got to skip over the smb part thank god mm-hmm. <laughs> but a lot of times you go transition from an SDR role to an SB, S, SMB sales rep, small, small to medium business sales rep. And then usually you go into commercial, natural enterprise, so on and so forth. So gotcha. it's generally not SDR. And now I'm going to go sell to, you know, Fortune 1000 companies. <laughs> so you work at Memory Blue doing your thing. Mm-hmm. And then you, you sound like you decided this, this is confirmed. I want to be in tech sales. Yeah, it absolutely did. I it, I got hungry really fast. <laughs> I was like, this is so much better. It's so much more secure. And I'm not dealing with the cycles. Yeah. On top of that, what's like the great thing about oil and gas is, you know, it is kind of fun. It's very challenging. And, you know, in some ways, it's, in a lot of ways, it's controversial. So you have to be ready to, to talk about it. <laughs> But with tech sales, really doesn't matter what field you're going into. It's such a dynamic industry. Something's always changing. Something's always new. So you have to keep that knowledge baseline up. Google alerts. Yeah. <laughs> so so the opportunity arose, arose, arose yeah. to uh, join IBM. IBM. How did that happen? Why'd you want to do it? So, yeah. So uh, both my colleague and I, Matt Thomas, we uh, slayed it. Uh, in terms of, nice. of leads, I mean, we were very, very consistent of getting them high quality leads every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, and all right, all right, we need both of y'all on the team. So they hired us both out at the same time. And it was just absolutely crazy kind of being thrown from this SDR role to more of like 
hybrid inside sales slash SDR role. And you got your own little, did your office. <laughs> Walls were paper thin, but I had an office that had my name on it. And just working with literally some of the most intelligent people I've ever had the privilege of, of getting to go and work with. I just, not a lot of people say they loved working at an IBM. I loved it. Mm -hmm. It was the hardest decision I ever had in my life having to leave there, but uh, it was awesome. And I mean, what do you want to know about IBM, I guess? <laughs> big Blue, what was it like when we were such a big company? It was a lot. Yeah. You were, I was shielded from a lot of it. I think it's a good way to put it because I worked in Watson Health and this was before Watson Health became a nothing. It was their big news, shiny child. Mm -hmm. um, they had just acquired the two companies, which was who I was working with, uh, Memory Blue, Fightful, and Explorus. Uh, and so we kind of operated almost as a startup mm -hmm. within IBM. So everyone else, you've got thousands of coworkers and I had couple hundred okay. um and so a lot of ways i did get insulated from the big cog that is ibm that kind of just like churns through people but you know it does churn but it only ibm i did notice they only want to hire the best and mm -hmm. they make sure they pay that they're hiring the best because they don't want to hire anything less mm -hmm. uh so kind of even getting to interact outside of my little bubble and it was really cool and getting to go to all the events and there's just thousands of us, you know, crammed into this tiny little auditorium in a building that looks like it's from 1984. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was interesting trying to see IBM transition to modern technology company, but still being stuck of this is the eighties and everyone's here in their suit and their tie. Mm -hmm. I remember one video, they were like, our CIO. Where's blue jeans? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wow. <laughs> it, was, it was a little tough. So, what were you selling and who were you selling to? So I worked in population health. So I was working either with doctors. I was working with chief medical officers, chief nursing officers, population health specialists at hospitals. Because what we were doing is we were selling a platform that aggregated patient data to show your most at-risk populations and then essentially kind of help you build a contact plan around that patient to get them back in more frequently to reduce their health risk. And this kind of went around uh, Obama's Affordable Care Act mm -hmm. uh, was really what this was designed around, slower healthcare costs by getting the population healthier mm -hmm. was the idea behind it. And so Fitel had the platform, Explorers had the data, the goal was to merge those two together to get this giant platform put together of we're going to get people healthier by giving them direct insights. And you can narrow it down to patients, to doctors, to clinics, to more holistic hospitals, and then even larger than that, the health system. How is it doing? And so it was, at the time, it was definitely the flavor of the month because healthcare has really moved a lot, a lot beyond that. But it was the hot ticket thing. Like every chief medical officer, chief nursing officer, they all were just talk to us. It was it was not hard getting meetings with them because they're like, I see what yeah, they're like, we see what Watson's doing. We believe in the power of Watson and the power Watson can put behind healthcare. And so it was just this crazy frenzy. And everyone was trying to I was really trying to keep up. And I think that's what's saddest part of all of it was 
IBM kept saying, we're going to do this. We're going to get this done. We're going to integrate this. We're going to build that. And it never happened. And so the product, because it didn't innovate, it failed. Um, These companies just die. Yeah. It's such a big company. It's hard to, it's hard. It sounds like a great idea at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's it's the IBM way. It's, they do that to a lot of companies they acquire. They're like, we're going to buy this. This is what we're going to do. It's, they just bought the weather channel. Uh, when I started, yeah. it was a big saying. They bought the weather channel what? and they had bought Fitel Explorers because we were in the uh, training sessions together when we first started. And the goal behind having the weather company was also relating to Watson Health. And so collecting that data from the weather channel and pumping it in. And then they had a whole bunch of other various areas where they're going to try to aggregate the data from the weather channel and, and it, it never went anywhere. They offloaded it, and that's it's kind of it's it's very sad. That's kind of what IBM has become. Like we have this grand idea, and they spend billions of dollars on it, and then nothing happens. So, (laughs) so you end up leaving, Mm -hmm. right? But but you transitioned into cyber. Like, how did that happen? So to a very interesting company. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) the big one. Yeah. So I when I was at IBM. I kind of, as things started to turn sour, uh, because there was just no more interest in the product wasn't new and shiny anymore. No one was really interested in it. Uh, I had been moved to different management. I'd been moved to different team. Just wasn't jelly. Yeah. And I was like, all right, like, you know, let's, let's get out of here. How long were you there? IBM was there for just shy of two years. Okay. Yeah. It was just shy. I think like month shy of two mm-hmm. years. But yeah, I uh, had a, I interviewed a bunch of companies and cybersecurity did still interest me because one of my clients that I work with, I don't know if I can say their name publicly. Sure. So yeah, let's, in case this thing's go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the managed methods yeah. was one of my clients. Yeah. And I really kind of loved, like they were my first introduction to endpoint detection and response. Yeah, they're still uh, a client till very recently. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. 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 Dave, David Wall and I still yes. talk on LinkedIn. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, they were one of my clients. I really fell in love with like, working with that product. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was fascinating. So when I was trying to look for other jobs while I was at IBM, I did take more of a cybersecurity focus of like, what are other cybersecurity companies hiring? Forescout was one of them. They were big in the scene until not too long ago. They finally with the way. They're gone. CyberArk, I interviewed with them. Okay. And then I got reached out to by Dremel CrowdStrike. And uh, I had never heard of CrowdStrike. And I was like, what the, the heck is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and they had, they were really trying to build out their sales team. They had their main sales office in Sunnyvale. It was very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and Austin was going to be their second sales office. And it was tiny, tiny, tiny little space in TechCrunch. Um, smelled like BO. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was all dudes, mm-hmm. literally. I was the only woman that was there. But I, I remember kind of coming to the interview and they were just really grilling me. Like every, like every cybersecurity company that I had worked for just it reminded me a lot of oil and gas. Like all of a sudden I was like, for the first, I hadn't experienced it at Memory Blue. I hadn't experienced it at IBM. I was kind of just used to, you know, okay, it's fine. You're a woman. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was very weird all of a sudden, like 
very condescending tones. And, you know, I was literally told in one interview, uh, I don't think you can do your job because you're one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's great. this is an Austin. Yeah, yeah, this is an Austin. Yeah. Or this, this is with an emergency. Yeah, this was this was told to you see my face, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, this was this is crazy. This was in 2017. This so we're only you know five years removed from this. Yeah. At this point, and it's it's so I got I got on board to CrowdStrike, and it was like being thrown into the dog pit. And I'm not saying that like in a bad way to, to CrowdStrike. It was nobody knew who CrowdStrike was. And that's what's so crazy to say. Nobody knew. We were so big now. Yeah. 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 So successful. Yeah. I was I was part of the first sales hiring yeah. for the Austin office. And I back to the memory blue roots. It was ham jam. I had, I think my account list was like six thousand strong. Because it's all businesses that were 2,500 employees and less. Okay. And so I just had to call and call and call. And I would get the phone and somebody would be like, well, hey, this is Shay. Call it from CrowdStrike. How are you today? CrowdStrike? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> and and it was really crazy. And I took I took it because cybersecurity, it's... Oh, I was talking to Carolyn before mm-hmm. when she was kind of prepping for the podcast. She's like, people are nervous of getting into cybersecurity. Yeah. My first question was, why? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why people would be nervous about it. For me, I think it is definitely harder than other areas of tech sales because you do have to have, you not necessarily have to have the technical background, but you have to have the willpower to learn. Yeah. And to Google have, alerts. Yeah, Google alerts. Google alerts. <laughs> If you're not if you're not taking time every single day to go and and learn about your product, to learn about your competitors, to learn about the whole field, you're not going to do well in cybersecurity. You're not up to date 100 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. And so, it was that's what attracted me. CrowdStrike was this looks like it's really going to be something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this looks really cool. Uh, you know, I've, I've kind of seen like the baby version of this, you know, before this, this is way better. Uh, let's, let's give it a try. Cause CrowdStrike's like, we're the best, like we're really low in the Gartner magic quadrant. Like, you know, they were behind, uh, silence and they were behind still post. They were in this little tiny corner right here. They're like, we're going to next year, we're going to be <laughs> in the, the right quadrant. And I was like, all right. <laughs> say so. Yeah. And and I, I ate my words because they were. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It was. It was really crazy. Like just the whole journey there, and like it's changed a lot since I was at CrowdStrike, and the whole industry has changed because when I started, I was the only one in our sales team, and it was I was that way for about six months before they finally hired another mm-hmm. another woman in the role, and then cybersecurity as a whole was just very vastly different. I was at a conference one time with one of my colleagues and I turned to him and I said, you know, there's about 400 people here. I'm betting you that there's only seven women, including me at this conference. He's like, oh, come on, Shay. There's at least eight. And I was like, all right, well, let's make a bet. Let's put 20 on it. I was like, if there's seven or less, you know, I will, I'll pay $20. If there's eight or more, you know, I'll give you your 20. Yeah. And I, I lost because there were nine at the conference. Wow. 
amazing. Yeah. So it was at the time, I think the statistic was there was about only 15% of the workforce was women in cybersecurity. Now it's up to 25%. So five years, 10% increase. That's, yeah. that's pretty huge. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely difficult kind of as a woman working in what I would kind of call a tech world environment. Mm-hmm. I didn't thrive. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, And it was definitely kind of one of those things where I always felt I had to prove myself partner. Okay, I get the worst territory. Mm-hmm. All right, not saying anything, but let's... All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this territory lead, and I did. Yeah, and kind of just kept going. And I I always hate the saying of like salespeople that blame their territory say, "Well, I was assigned the worst territory. That's why I'm not successful." Bullshit. You're just not doing your job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's it, you just have to. It, yeah, maybe you did get crap territory. Crap territories absolutely exist. It does mean you have to work harder, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean you're not going to produce anything. Mm-hmm. And so. By, I mean, I was handed really, really bad territory, but I still really made it work. I did great in my territory. And then... You selling a subscription service? It was. I was selling subscription yeah. service. It was an auto-renewal service because CrowdStrike's a cloud-based service. So yeah, super easy. Great part of the pitch was, oh, you can just true up. If you get add a few new users, you know, just let us know. Boom. You know, here you go. Here's a few new licenses for your subscription. So it was, I would say the first year, it was really hard to sell just because nobody knew who CrowdStrike was. Why do I need EDR? This looks like Big Brother. What I don't really know. Uh, endpoint detection and response. Yep, yep. This looks like Big Brother. We don't need this. What, what, is, what is an Overwatch? Mm-hmm. Overwatch is their threat hunting team to mm-hmm. alert you when mm-hmm. something's happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, why do I need this? I'm fine. I have Microsoft antivirus. This yeah. does what I need. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the, the concept of NGAV, next gen antivirus, was really starting to become a buzzword at the time, but it was just that was a buzzword. Yeah. Nobody was really taking it seriously. So you still had ESET and you still had Malwarebytes and you, you still had um, Trend Micro just being really, that was big old. Yeah, yeah, just very, very basic antivirus. Uh, and then, you know, you have Curl Strike, this new kid on the block. Very expensive. Why do I need to spend ten thousand dollar minimum for you know three hundred subscriptions for three hundred seats? Like this is ridiculous. You know I can go over to ESET and I can get it for five hundred dollars. You know, and then kind of over the course of that year, you had a bunch of different things happen. Um, you had first the Gardner Magic Quadrant that first year. It was I think it was the twenty eighteen. Magic Partners of 2019, where they finally made it into that right one. And they, they didn't just like shoot up. I mean, they <sighs> skyrocketed over yeah. to that. Uh, and once they got into that new Magic Quadrant, my job became so much easier. Um, because then people were like literally going like, CrowdStrike? Yes, let's have a call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those rings. Yeah. Magic Quadrants are magic for everybody. Yeah. Uh, I mean... People, they they really, I think a lot of smaller companies underestimate the power of Gartner, Forrester, IDC. Once you get into there, people know your name and they know what you're doing. And all of a sudden you have this analyst credibility behind you. And, you know, we believe analysts. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was, it was really crazy kind of nobody knows to literally almost couldn't keep up with the business. Mm-hmm. Because they 
just exploded. And there was a little bit of a hurdle uh, with the whole Trump scandal saying, oh, CrowdStrike has the servers hidden in Ukraine. We're like, that's not how cleanup works. That's not how remediation works. Like after a ransomware attack, we don't like take the servers. Yeah. And it's like, oh gosh, it was the misinformation behind like what remediation looks like after a data breach is just so funny. And having to like talk to people, even still like somebody will talk to me about like remediation and I'll just like, well, that's, First of all, you're wrong about it all. <laughs> Let's go and break it down. So it is definitely one of those fields. And it's also really fun to get to say to people like, oh, yeah, I work in cybersecurity, Leo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. big shock face. So it sounds like you always look like challenging, mm-hmm. yet very fulfilling. Yeah, in a lot of ways, yeah. Yeah, and you just because you decided to stick with it, right? Uh, so yeah. You, I didn't, right, you didn't leave cyber. Uh, yeah. So, like, why did you stick to it? Why did I stick the cyber? And it's the same as I'm still in it now. It's it's changing every day. Literally changing every day. There's a new tool. There's a new competitor. There's a new attack type, you know. And it's cybersecurity is never going to go away. It will always evolve. Some products that are successful today, if they refuse to keep up with the market, they're not going to be here next year. And it's definitely one of those things that if you want something that's stable in the cybersecurity, mm-hmm. just be prepared to work. <laughs> yeah. How long, you know, have you garnered, as you have all this knowledge, how have you decided to hit that line up like companies that would be good to work for? Because you say so you left, you obviously had success at CrowdStrike, right? Yeah. You're bona fide closing mm-hmm. outbound sales professional there. Yeah. An emerging technology company, you know, not SMB mm-hmm. bigger, but not. Big, big. Yeah, yeah, not right. enterprise. Yeah. Yes, and sudden, you know, I think you've been you've done some different things with different companies. Yeah. So how how do you know take this knowledge you you have? What do you look for at companies now? So yeah, it's I think kind of like for me after leaving CrowdStrike, I had a better perspective of really what I wanted in a company and what I wanted that type of product to be. The great thing about cybersecurity is it's really easy to find different areas and find great things. Um, there's a fantastic image on Google uh, that shows like the cybersecurity has like thousand different images. Yeah. Just the different types oh of areas gosh, you go into. So many. I think there's 7,000 cyber companies. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. And, uh, you know, whether you're wanting just to do network security or you want to do endpoint security or you want to do credentials or anything like that, there's somewhere to go. And it's important before even you take an interview is to go research the company, who are their competitors out there, what does the product really do? And then kind of based on, you know, what you're doing in your role, is this something to hear about? Is this something that you actually do feel is a need that's lacking? Um, is there a way that you can pitch it to your clients where they see the value of them adding this to their solution stack? Because that is the other problem with cybersecurity is there's so many tools out there. You get this clutter. And uh, my husband, he works in uh, cybersecurity as well. And he goes, oh, I'll talk to my clients. And, you know, there'll be a small company, but they won't know all the products that they have because there's just so many that do so many different That's things. That's so funny. The oil and gas family grew up in now you're going to, yeah. okay, the cybersecurity. Oh, yeah. Everyone always asks me if I can fix their computers. I'm like, yeah, I'm not that kind of smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
was like one of my neighbors the other day, like handed me his computer. He's like, we got a virus. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> like, thankfully, my husband works for an endpoint security company, so we can go and wipe this for you. But, you know, please don't do this to us again. <laughs> so w- w- what have you, uh, if you're talking to an SDR, it was like figuring out, because we have this program right at the stars, now, mm-hmm. right? Like your company. We have somebody coming out of Memory Blue. Since you're an alum, great standing, you could hire them for free mm-hmm. if you want to. But they always ask, like, well, what should I be looking for? Oh, I want to progress in my career, what type of role, what type of company. And the company's going to get me where I want to go. Yeah. Assuming this person is as good as you are. Yeah. I mean, it's it's always like there's there's advice you can give, but there's also a large part of it that's luck. <laughs> like, I feel it, like in some ways, CrowdStrike's rise was inevitable. But I also yeah. feel very lucky that I found this. And very few people get to say they work at a unicorn. Yeah. Or they're an Austin awesome unicorn. Yeah. Or they're not a d- double unicorn. Yeah. But I, I think what's important to look for is look at the stability of industry. How old is the company? Ask, you know, why is this particular position open? Is it new? If it's new, why is it new? If it's vacant, why did it get vacant? Mm-hmm. Who are you reporting to? Half of an interview is not just them learning about you, seeing if you're a fit for the company. It's, are, do you agree with the company? Do you like what they have to say? I have absolutely gone through interview processes, hated my interviewers, and said, nope, if you're going to be my direct report, Sorry, you know, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for your time. But, yeah. you know, no, thank you. And so I think that's when I was first starting my career, I was like, say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And I got very lucky <laughs> with my say yes. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, more mature, I realized, okay, no, like you do, there is a reason you need to be picky. It's learning to ask the right questions, but also learning how to stand out in an interview process, I think is, but just really study. I I don't know. I for me, studying is how it makes me feel confident in my job. It makes me, I think, successful. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to put the time to learn about the company, the very least, learn about the competition. How are you going to know it's the best product to sell? Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, that is the big piece of advice. The company that you're going to go work for, make sure it's the best on the market. Because if you're not selling the best, it's really hard to sell, and you realize that your reaches quite fast. <laughs> and what are you doing now? So I'm still in cybersecurity. I kind of evolved a bit. I went back to, I stayed in the startup roots. I don't really have an interest of going back to an IBM type company. So I'm a startup chaser for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you got storm chasers and startup chasers. Yeah. Yeah. No, the CrowdStrike put the bug in me for sure. So now I work at a, a really awesome, also a unicorn. So much purple unicorn now. Uh, a wonderful company called Sonar Source, And they do code quality and security for your source code saying you build an application and you're gonna have the right code to build an application or a job is to go and scan that code and make sure it's secure make sure there's no bugs one of the biggest attack vectors today is exploiting uh, essentially code vulnerabilities and that's how they go and they get a backdoor into your network and then boom drop ransomware shut you out all that fun stuff and so the goal of our company is kind of you have a crowd strike, it takes it at the endpoints. And then for us, it takes it all the way very back to the basics of when that software is being developed. So it's kind of looking more to the ship left of cybersecurity and finding a solution before it becomes a problem. 
So it's, it's, um, and I work, uh, what's your day to day? Like, what do you, yeah, what do you work on? Yeah. So I work with fortune 1000 companies exclusively. I manage my accounts globally. So I, I'm very fortunate of getting to have clients, you know, I can run a meeting at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning with somebody in New York, but you know, I'm going to have to run a call at two o'clock in India and two o'clock in the morning with my clients in India. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely kind of one of those jobs where Again, it really does define that you're not eight to five uh, and trying to find a work-life balance, but it's been a very circuitous route for me to get from, I studied in Korea. I wanted to get to an international business and have the ability to go and to visit other places in the world. And then 10 years later, finally did it. (laughs) (laughs) Takes a while. It does. It does. It does. And it's definitely the value was in the journey. And I think if I had gone from straight from college to a job that does allow me to work internationally, I wouldn't be successful. I wouldn't have this extreme experience that I do now. And I get to go to Geneva for work and meet all my wonderful colleagues in Geneva. I can go over to Europe whenever I want to go and spend time with them because that's where we're headquartered. And just kind of getting to go and speak with people literally all over the world every single day for my job. It's just really spectacular. And I love my clients. I get to work with developers. I get to work with directors of infrastructure. And they're so much easier to work with than most people. They're much nicer than your standard IT director. (laughs) So it's really fun to have fun and interesting clients. My company is very focused on culture. Mm-hmm. So there's no tech bro mentality, which is something I kind of put my foot in the sand. I was like, I'm staying in cybersecurity. You stay away from the tech bros. Yeah. And it's it's great to to be at a unicorn that's not doesn't have that tech bro mm-hmm. mentality. And just unlike most cybersecurity companies, takes the quality very 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 seriously. Yeah. So you know you'll see it when you go to other cybersecurity companies. You know there will be ten men and two women. Yeah. And you come to our floor and it's you know, 50, 60 or, you know, or, or 40, 60 or 60, 40, depending on the day you come in. Yeah. So it's, it's really crazy. It's That's great. Oh, yeah. Are you selling, are you uh, forming? Are you selling new or are you? I, I did both. So oh, okay. yeah, I, uh, so I work as the global account manager for about 70 companies worldwide. Uh, and so, uh, you know, obviously there's dealing with renewals of what are their ongoing products. And then on top of that, you know, it's a, global company. So maybe one division is using the tool, but another division isn't. So it's my job to go and hunt those companies out and get the referrals, get those divisions. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a really fun role because it's a combination of account management and a new logo, which for me is really fun because I've only done new logo. So kind of learning the account management aspect of it uh, is fun. I love it because I I'm very into relationship selling. Mm-hmm. So it's it's for me it's like the perfect mesh of my world of what I like to do in sales. There you go. So just if you rewind the years of time, if you could move it, take us back to the night before you started as an SDR, what advice would you give to yourself? You gotta keep pushing forward. You gotta gotta grind. You gotta hustle. You cannot be afraid to get on the phone and you cannot be afraid to get rejected on the phone. I think the biggest obstacle on SDR space is they get rejected and then because they got rejected on the phone and then feel dejected in their job. And that's just a part of sales. Mm-hmm. You're always going to have failures. You're going to have way more failures than you're going to have wins. And I think that's really what I would have told myself when I first started is be okay with the failures. They're going to happen a lot. And uh, don't take them as hard. 
take them as learning experiences, mm-hmm. but don't don't let that ruin your day. I'll add to that. You know, I'm not you. It's, you know, if you work in places that are as all of the industries changing mm-hmm. that are as the female friendly, mm-hmm. male dominated, don't let that kind of get you down. Yeah. Or, or excuse me. It can get you down. Don't let it get in your way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, you gotta you gotta take the bull by the horns. Yeah, because you've had some some run-ins with some of that, and it's common, and you're very candid about, it, which is amazing, and you haven't let that. You know, no, I don't. I don't have time for that. <laughs> right. If if, if you want to be an able, you know, go be an able in your time. Don't do it on my time. I'll be able to do my job. Yeah, and yeah. you fought through it. Though. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm very aggressive <laughs> on the phone as with my clients. It's, 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 yeah, it's it's the fiery redhead in me. Yeah, uh, I you know I may not have a soul, but man, I can be mean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's I mean you know if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, if you identify as a different sexuality or gender, you're definitely going to run into some form of discrimination either on a daily basis or hopefully not ever, but it's going to yeah. happen at some point. And the goal is just you know depending on how severe it is, just kind of keep going. Yeah. You can't, you cannot let it take you down because I have been told on a first day of the job of you're the first female hire for this role. Don't F it up. And that was one of the most terrifying things ever been told to me in my entire life. But you know what I did? I didn't F it up. Yeah. I just kept going and I worked my butt off and I was super successful in that job. And if you let sexism or racism, gender discrimination get in your way, you're not going to be successful at sales. There's a lot of stuff that you have to put up with and it's on you to rise above people that are lower than you. Yeah. You not, not like stomp on them, but like, no, but you know, just they, they think poor, you know, you're better than that. Yeah. You cannot let them take you down. And on that, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's sales is fun. Yeah. It's, it's the best job in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, it changes every day. It changes yeah, every but, day. Here's the thing. If sales was easy, everyone would do it. Right. So if right. you're here, you need your own right now. Right. Sherry, good. Just, thanks for visiting with no, us today. No, thank y'all. I know you're very busy. I know you have back to back. Yeah. Uh, this afternoon. Yeah. We'll let you go. Yeah. Get after it. But thank, thank you for joining us. No, thank you all. Another one. Great person to have working at the company. Lots of wisdom. Thanks for working with us. We really appreciate it. No, thank you all for getting my head start in my career. Absolutely. <laughs> thanks for taking it. If you're competitive, driven, and curious, it's time to consider a professional sales opportunity that your future self will thank you for. With an unmatched training program and a tradition of elevating our people, Memory Blue has helped hundreds of successful professionals launch lucrative tech sales careers. You will grow highly marketable skills through ongoing mentorship from seasoned sales leaders while showcasing your abilities for tech industry royalty and some of the hottest startups around. And you'll do it all surrounded by driven, like-minded colleagues immersed in our award-winning company culture. As your tenure progresses, you will attract a host of career options. This includes moving up internally or venturing out into the tech industry, where tech companies pay a premium for Memory Blue experience. We have immediate openings in our offices from coast to coast. Visit memoryblue.com SDR and apply today. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep.